1: Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Kim Tebaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. The Wellness Community and Gilda's Club have united to become the Cancer Support Community, one of the largest providers of cancer support in the United States and around the world. Our services are offered at more than 170 locations worldwide and online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. Today's show is sponsored in part by Celgene. Lilly Oncology, and Onyx. Well, parenting with cancer can be a major challenge for many uh, who are diagnosed. It often requires a balance of looking uh, out for your own health while simultaneously being aware of the effects on the family structure. And, you know, often children of different ages react quite differently to a parent's diagnosis. Uh, On this episode of Frankly Speaking About Cancer, we will explore the unique challenges of being a teenager when your parent is diagnosed with cancer. Today's show features Mark and Maya Silver, father and daughter, who co-wrote the book My Parent Has Cancer and It Really Sucks. In their book, Mark and Maya reflect on their own personal experiences to offer insights on the difficulties of being a teen whose parent is diagnosed with cancer. Welcome, Mark.
2: Hi, Kim. Great to be with you.
1: And welcome to you, Maya.
3: Thanks. Great to be here.
1: Uh, let's get started, Maya. I want to I, I start with you, um, to begin, um, why don't we talk about your own experiences with cancer in the family? Um, Maya, what was it like for you when when you found out your mom um, had cancer? Take us kind of back to that time and what was going on in your life and your family and talk a little bit about how you reacted to that.
3: Sure. Well, I was starting the ninth grade, so I thought I was pretty much the most important thing in the world at the time. <laughs> and um, the way my parents told me was actually – a really great way. I didn't know it at the time, but um, what they did was I think it was our, at the end of our first week of school, they both picked up me and my sister um, and they sort of turned to the back seat and just said, You know, this is what's been happening. Mom was diagnosed. We don't know all the information. And there was a lot of disbelief like, Oh my God, is this really happening to me? Does this mean mom's going to die? Um, but you know, my parents were really good about communicating honestly about her diagnosis and so um quickly we sort of had our fears alleviated that she was going anywhere. Um we got the, you know, rundown of what the treatment would be like and surgeries and they kept us posted and abreast of everything. Um and so, you know, sort of the hyperbolic reaction sort of faded. <laughs> Slowly yeah. after that, it did kind of feel like the whole world was crashing down on us because the next week, I think, was 9-11, and the school was evacuated, and I was like, oh, my God, my mom has breast cancer in 9 And But, um, yeah. you know, after that, it was, you know, my way of dealing with it kind of changed, and it wasn't that I was in denial, but I just really wanted to keep my life going. I didn't really want to talk about it or be that kid whose mom had cancer, and um, and so I didn't want to be stigmatized by it. So... I, I dealt with it really quietly and just tried to keep my life going, which is something we've seen in a lot of teens
1: that we interviewed. Just wanting things to stay normal.
3: Hmm. So as normal. Not, not to be, as, you know, your identity. Your identity doesn't become defined by it.
1: You're still or as as normal are. as things can be when you're a teenager, I guess. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, Mark, I know you have another daughter. Um, when when uh, uh, when your wife was diagnosed, what was the age? difference um with between your other daughter and Maya and you know did 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 she react differently and and to what might you attribute that
2: he's the younger daughter Daniela who was 12 on the verge of turning 13 when uh when we got the news that Marcia had breast cancer and I mean they both seemed to react to us as parents it seemed like they reacted kind of the same in some ways they just kind of lived their normal teenage lives and went on with things but later, in as, as time went on, we talked to them more. You know, years afterwards, we discovered that there were differences. I know one thing Daniela did that we didn't know at the time. She had she was going to a Jewish day school, and they would have morning prayers. And each morning, she would ask her friends to say a prayer for Marsha. And it's like such a beautiful gesture. And she told me it was her way of trying to get some sense of control in a situation that seemed out of control, and trying to do something that might might be helpful. So the, the people react in different ways, but I think teenagers often react by acting like teenagers, which as any parent knows is not is, is tough. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, but it's, and one it's, thing Maya it, said, if I yeah. can get
2: back to you, you, know we didn't we didn't plan to tell them in the car. as like, wow, this is the best place to tell them. But when we started <laughs> doing research for the book, a lot of people said, you know, the car is a great place to have a conversation with your kids because you're sort of you got a captive audience. It's like they can't. <laughs> Run out and, and, and storm into their room and close the door or leave the house. And you don't have to make eye contact, which also was mm. helpful sometimes because it's a really intense word. Cancer is a scary, scary word, and it scares adults and it scares kids and teenagers because they pick up their cues from their adults. So to have a conversation where you're not sitting around the table staring each other in the face was actually a bit easier, I think, for all of us.
1: Mm. It's, 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 it's interesting. I wonder how... I wonder how our many, many counselors at CSC would react to that. Also. <laughs> uh, I might, I might. We, we have a lot of them. We have hundreds of them, so I might have to do a little survey about that. <laughs> um, but I think it's really, I think it's really, uh, really interesting. Maybe there'll be a new form of mobile, mobile, mobile therapy, therapy that's happening. And it doesn't have Everything to do with your telephone, yeah. right? <laughs> um, I want to ask. Uh, I want to ask both of you. Maya, I'll start with you, but um, uh, but the book. My parent has cancer, and it really sucks is uh, aimed at teens that have a, par- have, a, have a parent who's facing a cancer diagnosis. Um, in, your, in your research and in writing the book and in your learnings, what are the, some, of, some of the ways that teens tend to react differently to the situation than maybe younger children or older children? I, I, I think you gave us a little bit of, cl- of a clue into that window when you said, I was in the ninth grade and I thought that the world revolved around me. So, <laughs> right. um, you know, that might uh, help to, to, to frame the reaction a little bit.
3: Well, I mean, what we found is that teens have a much more diverse range of emotions that they experience, Um, so it's not just sadness and fear. It's also guilt and um, misunderstanding and um, just really identity kind of crisis feelings, because you know, they want to be there for their parents, or they don't know that they do, but they feel like they should, and oftentimes they're not. They want to go out and continue living their teenage life and hanging out with their friends and um, not being at home all the time, and so when, you know, when they don't do those things, there's a lot of guilt involved. Like, I should be at home, but I don't want to, so I'm not going to, and then just feeling like, you know, teens have a lot of different range of feelings. Like some teens we encountered wanted the other parents to have cancer because they were closer with the other parents. So their mom had breast cancer, for example, but they wished it was their dad because they were closer with their mom. And so they're experiencing these you know, kind of crazy emotions that make them feel like maybe bad people. And so a lot of what we try to do is normalize those types of emotions. Like, there are other teens feeling this way. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. Like, it's normal that you don't want to be at home. Um, So it's just a lot more complex, I think. And, you know, compared to older adults, I'm not really sure exactly how that would compare, but I think there's a lot of misinformation with teens, and they do a lot of probably these days even more so Googling and just looking for information online, and what they Mm. find isn't always relevant. And so they probably... You know, a lot of them had distorted um, understandings of what was going to happen to their parent when they first found out that their parent was diagnosed. Like, they looked something up online or a friend told them, oh, well, you know, people with cancer die, things like that. And so we try to, in our book, have some information that's team-friendly and sort of bust some of those myths and addresses common misconceptions.
1: Yeah, Um, you know, I I think that, um, you know, as you said, sort of we're, 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 you know, teens are in this space where they're incredibly self-involved. I remember talking to one one mother who was going through chemotherapy and lost her hair, and um, she told me that her daughter asked her to drop her off a block away from school. um, Yeah. She didn't want her friends to see her mom with no hair. And, you know, her mom was one of those moms who said, I'm not wearing a wig. I'm not wearing a scarf. I'm not going to do, you know, that's, it's not comfortable. It's, it's hot. It's, you know, this is, this is kind of what I'm going through right now. This is my reality. And she just, the daughter wanted nothing to do with anybody seeing her mom that way, you know, without, uh, without hair. So, you know, again, not taking sort of the mom's situation into account, but sort of how are my friends going to react to this? That was sort of the driving. Right. Yeah.
2: and what we hope is that like parents would under would read the book and understand this too. Like you would think, oh my God, how could my kid think that? But in fact, that's like my saying, That's a normal reaction for a teenager to have. They don't want to be the one with the bald mom or the bald dad because of chemotherapy. And if a parent can kind of understand that, that it's not coming from a place of of of, of dislike or hatred. It's just like an honest reaction that these kids are in a stage where they don't want to stand out. And, and that's one of the things that was so interesting in doing this book, that in a way you'd think, oh, it would be so much harder for a young kid to face a parent's cancer. But a lot of the um, specialists and experts we interviewed said it's really very, very tough for teens because they're in a stage where they're pulling away from the family and they're forming their own identity, so they're out with their friends, they're doing their own thing, and then all of a sudden here comes this disease, this cancer, and it kind of yanks them back into the family fold, you know, against their, against their wishes. So it creates a lot of tension and, mm. and, and a lot of uh, difficult situations and reactions that, that both teens and parents might not understand at first.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, we've got uh, just a couple minutes till our first break here, but um, Maya, I, you know, certainly one of the most valuable aspects of this book is your collaboration you know with your father brings together this perspective of a, of a parent and a teen um, tell me just to, for a minute or two about that collaborative process and and um, and how you felt your father's perspective as a parent helped in, in in both guiding your experience and in being a collaborator on the book
3: Sure well obviously I don't have any children so I, I don't have a really great you know perspective on how you know best parenting practices and sort of family dynamics, like I you know, what I know is from limited experience is just from being raised by my parents but not by raising my own kids. And so I think my dad brought a lot of just experience with best practices of communication and how to deal with school and how to deal with a, you know, really traumatic thing like a dire prognosis. Just his life perspective and his um, experience as a parent, I think, is something that I couldn't really fulfill um, just from my own limitations in that field, so... Um, that was really helpful. And it was just, it was really wonderful to collaborate with him. We sort of divided up the chapters and we look at the chapters each other wrote and sort of meld our voices. And the feedback he had for, you know, my chapters was super valuable. And um, I think it made it a better book to have us working on it together.
1: Mark, we've got a couple minutes, but I'd ask you to weigh in. Tell me about the process and, uh-huh. First and of what all, it was PM like.
2: Google Docs, they saved our life because it's like you create these <laughs> documents and you can edit them. And you don't have all that interpersonal stuff where you're sitting next to somebody and saying, I don't like this sentence, I don't like this. I mean, Maya brought such a great perspective because she's close to being a teenager herself. She's now in her 20s. But she can understand better than I can, like, what does a teen really want out of a book like this? And how do you put it together? And I would write these long narrative chapters, and then she would take them and break them up into bite-sized pieces so kids can dip in and out of the book and find a story that's like them or a piece of advice that applies to their situation. So I think it was a pretty good, uh, pretty good teamwork. From thousands of miles away,
1: <laughs> and and did it um, did it give you any kind of kind of retrospective insight when you were you guys were actually in the in the thick of it? Were there a lot of learnings now that you have a little distance from the experience? Were there any kind of aha moments? I mean, uh, I, was I think.
3: Oh,
2: go um, ahead. I was surprised at how deeply both kids were affected by Marsha's cancer experience, because at the time, mm-hmm. like I said, they seemed like they were just, like, riding it out like normal teenagers, and they got on our nerves, and we got on their nerves. And and yet, in, in talking to Maya and Daniela you know, in depth for this book, you know, years later, you could just see it shaped their relationship with each other. I think it brought them yeah. closer together, but I'll let Maya talk yeah. about that, and, and so their Maya, relationships with yeah. us as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Maya, I'm going to come back to you on that. Um, we're going to take a sure. quick break here. We're talking today with Mark uh, and Maya Silver, a father and daughter team who co-wrote the book, My Parent Has Cancer, um, and it really sucks. It's a really a reflection of their own uh, personal experience. It's offering insights on the difficulties of being a teen whose parent is diagnosed with cancer. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back.
4: or call 617-733-5848. Cancer, it's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand, choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help.
5: Support from cancer
4: survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you Break away from Cancer, created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer.
0: Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle coworkers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed.
4: Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
0: You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community.
1: Welcome back to Frankly Speaking about Cancer, sponsored in part today by Asi, Genentech, and Amgen. Today we're talking about parenting during the cancer journey, and uh, we're talking about Mark and Maya Silver's book, "My Parent Has Cancer and It Really Sucks." Uh, before uh, the break, I had a chance to hear from Mark about um, really the process of collaborating uh, uh, with his daughter on this book, and and uh, looking back, and you know, did the really what did the process bring out, and and uh, you know, were there any aha moments? For you guys in collaborating and working on the book and looking back over this experience, Maya, um, you know, let, let let me hear from you on that. What what was it? Was it was it painful working on this? Was it uh, was it uh, cathartic? Was it you know what was the process like for you? Yeah, I was, you I would say cathartic. I mean, it was
3: actually it was a really awesome for me because, you know, like I said before, during my mom's cancer, I really didn't want to think or talk or <laughs> ruminate upon it at all. And yeah. Um, yeah. then after she recovered and she had a relapse, thankfully, I was just kind of something I stored away in, in memory and didn't really revisit, you know, like... I didn't bring it up with friends. I didn't. I never really talked about it or thought about it. It was just something in my past. And so until my father and I worked on this book, I hadn't really um, had a chance to kind of reflect so deeply on the experience that I went through. And that was probably the most I thought about my my mom's cancer since it happened. Um, and it was really interesting interviewing all these teens and hearing their thoughts and. Um, having those thoughts sort of remind myself of what I was feeling at the time and take me back to that place and sort of process um, what I went through and, you know, how I dealt with it and why. And so I think it really, uh, you know, illuminated a lot for me about how and why I reacted the way I did and how I coped and how I'm different for it now. So it was a very interesting experience.
1: So what, sp- so what sparked, Maya, the the thought or the idea of wanting to do this book in the first place?
3: Well, it was my dad's idea. <laughs> he gets all the credit. <laughs>
1: So tell me um, about that for a minute, Mark. What was uh, what what came into your mind when you thought, oh my gosh, we should write a book about this?
2: Well, actually, it was a friend of mine who uh, runs a Gilda's club's idea, uh, Anna Gottlieb in Seattle, who sent me a note one day and said, Mark, your next book should be about how teenagers react to a parent's cancer. I had mm. written a book called Breast Cancer Husband before, uh, before, this one, about how all the clueless men uh, don't know what to say and do when their wife is diagnosed with cancer, and I just I never really thought about teenagers and. My friend Anna Gottlieb, um, her Gilda's Club runs an essay contest for teens talking about yeah. how they've been affected by cancer, as, as I think a number of, of Gilda's Clubs, and um, I don't know if Cancer Support Community does as well. But it was amazing. These essays were often about a parent, and they were so deep and darkly funny and just, like, full of, like, genuine emotion. And, and it just surprised me how, you know, the, 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 the intensity of feelings that these kids had facing a parent's cancer. And when I read them, I thought, "Oh my gosh, there really is a book." And we included some of the essays in our book, uh, sort of just to give people that sense of what these kids were going through.
1: Yeah, it's a wonderful inspiration on it. That's a great, uh, a great contest that they run out of our guilds club there in Seattle. That's uh, yeah, that's one, yeah, that's, really, really, that's, yeah, good. wonderful, wonderful. Because um, I mean,
2: like I was saying before, I just, I just always thought, "Oh, they're teenagers; they can deal with it. They're practically grown up." And then, like I said, going into the research, you find out. It's really, really tough for them because of the states that they're in, because of being a teenager.
1: Right, right, and all that comes along with that. I remember I was. Um, we do a lot of work with, uh, with our friend Ted Kennedy Jr., who, of course, had cancer himself, mm-hmm. you know, as a teenager. And he said, when you're a teenager, if you, you think you get a zit, and it's the worst thing that could happen That's right, to you.
2: that's right. And here <laughs> I was in, in the
1: hospital, and they're telling me they're going to take my leg, you know. It said it said, it was, I thought my life was over, you know. Um, but, um, you know, Maya, I just want to go back to the, to the school conversation for a minute, because we know that one of the most difficult parts of being a teen, period, Mm -hmm. is dealing with things, (laughs) you know, in school, but then, you know, certainly when a parent has cancer, that's just sort of exacerbates everything, again, in a, in what we know is a very challenging time in an, in an adolescence um, life, so tell us, you know, how you dealt with that, or maybe didn't, didn't deal with that, the whole idea of your peers at school and your mom dealing with cancer, did it come up, were you embarrassed by it, was it something you wanted to talk about, you know, how did that go?
3: Yeah, I mean, I wanted my friends to know just sort of so they knew what was going on, but I really never wanted to talk about it. So I kind of told each one one by one or like a few together at lunch. And then they would ask me periodically, like, how's your mom doing? What's happening with your mom? And I would just kind of give like one word, really curt answers, um, and brush it off. And, you know, after the fact, they were always like, why did you, why didn't you ever want to talk about it? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I just didn't want to talk about it. But for me, I mean, as far as school work, um, that was really, probably a sort of a coping mechanism for me. I I don't think it was affected at all, and it was, like, helpful for me to have a lot of activities and schoolwork going on. But the biggest thing we stress as far as schools is that um, you should communicate or the parents should communicate um, with the school and let them know what's going on just in case the situation gets worse or if the teen is having a hard time keeping up with schoolwork or just, you know, dealing um, just in their day-to-day life at school. It's important for there to be an advocate there, whether it's a guidance counselor or a teacher or just some trusted person at the school to be able to sort of be their advocate and help them out if they need it um
1: yeah yeah well uh, mark what you know what what tips would you have for parents as it relates to the to the school experience did you guys decide together that you were gonna you know tell the teachers or did you do that separately or you know what advice do you have there
2: I think the important thing is that you obviously you need to talk to your kid and say this is you know this is what we think is a good idea. And, and as Maya was saying, it's like it's a good idea if at least somebody at school knows what's going on because you yes. know the, the kid might be having a bad day or might be you know falling down on homework or or not able to study for a test. So it's it's just important if somebody at the school understands what's happening in this kid's life. Some kids may feel like I don't want everybody to know. Um, we we heard about one school in Texas where they announced over the intercom, you know, so and so's mom has cancer, which this. Poor kid was so traumatized by that. Oh so it's my like gosh, You don't yeah. want to. Yeah, I mean, you want the kid to understand. Everybody doesn't have to know, but it really could be helpful if your counselor knows. You could have mm-hmm. the counselor be a point person and just kind of touch base with the teachers and let them know what's going on. There are lots of ways that we describe in the book where you can get the school in the loop. And I think you know, unless the kid is really, really, really upset by that idea, that it's something that a parent should push for and and just go up to school or have a conversation on the phone with with a point person to sort of explain what's happening and for the next six months or nine months, this is what's going to be going on in our household. Because there may be times when you know the kid just doesn't have time to do their homework because maybe it was a rough week from chemo, or maybe there was surgery that week. So it's good for teachers to understand that and there may be situations where a teacher might be able to modify assignments. Some schools have a deal where you know, the, the teacher will set up a signal with the kid, like if a kid is just having a bad moment and wants to get out of the class, the kid would raise his hand in a certain way and could go to the guidance counselor's office for 15 minutes just to chill out. Or, so they're, they're, they're really very helpful things schools can do if the school knows what's going on.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's all, um, that's all uh, good advice. You know, Maya, you mentioned that you, you um, told your – Closest friends, you know what was going on, but then you didn't want to talk about it, and that was, you know, that was sort of that. Was sort of that. Um, and I, you know, again, I mean, it's there's no right formula. Everybody kind of deals with this um, differently. But again, do you have tips for for teens in terms of talking to their friends about their their parents' diagnosis? Any guidance you can give to someone who might be listening today who's thinking about this?
3: Yeah, it's kind of a tricky issue because. Um, even if your friends are really well-intentioned, they probably don't know the right thing to say um, just because teens mm-hmm. tend to lack the life experience necessary to have dealt with something like this before and really be able to relate to the teen that's going through it until they'll say things like, I know how you feel or um, my aunt died of cancer or, you know, just something else, and it doesn't make the teen feel any better. And so what we try to communicate to teens in our book is that the more that they can um, – communicate to their friends about how they want to go forward um, in dealing with this um, is the the better, basically. So they need to say to their friends, here's what's happening. Here's what I need you to do to support me. Um, Here's what I would not like you to say, you know. And it's kind of an ongoing process, too, of just telling their friends, like, look, I don't want to talk about it. Look, don't bring it up at school. It's going to upset me or... I need you to you know call me every night or you know whatever they need, they should communicate it with their friends because their friends aren't going to know, and um, it's very likely that they'll say the wrong thing or' just kind of be at a loss for how to support them so yeah. that's pretty important
1: yeah, yeah mark, how, you know how, how does a parent sort of support their child through this on an ongoing basis? Obviously, you talked a little bit about you know, how you told the girls what was happening, um, and, you know, again, issues with communicating with the school, issues in helping the child communicate with his or her friends um, and peers, other tips, other insights in terms of supporting your teen on an ongoing basis here?
2: Yeah, I mean, one thing, it's important to, I mean, obviously things aren't going to be the same as they were would have been if mom or dad didn't get cancer, but you do want to try to let your kid lead as, as normal a life as possible during that, mm-hmm. during the time of treatment, and and you know, if a, if a kid is reluctant to go out to a party because mom, is, you know, or dad has cancer, it's like it's okay to say to your kid, you know, go to that party and have a good time. That's okay because that's part of life. And it's like you don't want your kid to just feel like they have to be home all the time. But you want them to help out maybe more than they would have in the past and pick up some chores. But you also want to, you know, let them understand it. it's fine to go to the mall. It's fine to hang out with your friends. This one. Uh, teenager I interviewed, I think her mom was a single mom and she had two younger siblings, and during the week this teenager spent a lot of time caring for those siblings and during the weekend her mom would arrange with friends to watch the younger kids, and this teen said it was like, it was just so great to be a 12-year-old again and to be able Mm -hmm. to go out and hang out with my friends and do goofy stuff. So to understand that that's part of the teen experience, and you just want to make that happen as much as you can.
1: And so, Mark, just we have a minute or two before our our break here, but... um you know, again, we were kind of joking earlier about, you know, sometimes teens can go through some difficult moments and feel like they are the center of the universe. And, and um, it, you know, it, it, do you think that for some parents it's it may be challenging to sort out, you know, okay, this is just my teen being a typical teen, Um or, mm, you know, maybe there's a little something more here yeah, that, to explore really or look into. Is, yeah. that, is that something that parents have to keep an eye out for? Yeah,
2: you really, really do. And you, have to, you still have to be a parent even if you're dealing with cancer. And, you, and if there's something that would have caused you concern anyway, if all of a sudden your kid isn't seeing any friends or grades are dropping or your kids hold up in their room all the time, that's a cause for concern and you want to try to figure out what's happening. I mean, maybe in the car because again, you can mm-hmm. have a, a less charged, emotionally charged conversation. You know, if you pick your kid up at school and, and, or you, you might have a family meeting once a week if that's your style as a family and sort of don't let things slide by. If, if there's something that would have caused you concern under normal circumstances, mm-hmm. yeah, you really need to talk to your kid about it and, and figure out some and, way of, and, of being helpful. And keeps them, keep
1: the structure, keep the discipline, keep those mm-hmm. all those things in place. Exactly,
2: yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. We're talking today with Mark and Maya Silver, father and daughter team who co-wrote the book My Parent Has Cancer and It Really Sucks. And we're really kind of delving in on uh, particularly the teenage experience when a parent uh, has cancer, what that's like, interacting with the school, interacting with friends, the, how it impacts uh, the family dynamic. We've got a lot more Uh, to talk about on the show today we're just going to take a quick break here uh, and we'll be right back so don't go away
5: Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaides, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Communities Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company Azi are committed to human healthcare, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the healthcare process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day.
4: People living with breast cancer often find it difficult to ask for help. And many of the people in their lives want to help, but don't know how. During National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Cancer Support Community is proud to support Meal Trains sponsored by Magnolia, which utilizes Mealtrain.com, a free shared online calendar, to streamline the process of giving and receiving meals for families coping with breast cancer. Help us reach our goal of 1,000 new breast cancer-specific Meal Trains this October. To learn more, visit Mealtrain.com slash MMT and enter the code Magnolia B, or visit us at
0: cancersupportcommunity.org. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world,
4: Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness.
0: You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community.
1: Today's episode of Frankly Speaking About Cancer is sponsored in part by AstraZeneca, Millennium, the Takeda Oncology Company, and Purdue Pharma. We're joined today by Mark and Maya Silver, father and daughter co authors of My Parent Has Cancer and It Really Sucks. We're talking today about parenting and cancer. Let's uh, learn more about the different ways that teens may react to a parent's cancer. Um, Mark, you recently wrote an opinion piece for Time magazine called uh, How Teens Cope with Cancer, The Fault is in Their Brains. Um, In the article as well as in your book, you touch on uh, how many uh, teens often avoid spending time at home or with the family when a parent is going through uh, treatment. Can you expand on that idea in particular a little bit and explain why teens may react in this way?
2: Yeah, it's the disappearing teen phenomenon. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of a little bit of what Maya was talking about, that some teens just want to be out of the house and hanging out with their friends and not... Home and, and it doesn't mean that that teen doesn't care, it just might mean that it's really hard for that teen to see mom or dad going through cancer. And maybe the sight of their bald head or just them not feeling well and then and, and hold up in bed rather than being out and being active is really really hard. So some teens seek that kind of solace with their friends and activities and, and all that kind of stuff, and and that's normal, it doesn't mean that they don't care, it's just that's their way of coping. And and other teens. There's a term we learned in doing the book called parentification, which is when a kid uh, takes on responsibilities and chores that usually would fall to a parent. It doesn't just happen when there's cancer in a household, but it certainly can happen. And some teens kind of go to that extreme where they want to take on all the role of, roles that a parent would have taken on and be a caregiver to younger siblings, and if they have their driver's license to drive carpool, to pack lunches, to do chores at home. And that's a really tough. That's really Obviously, that teen cares, but that's really hard for the teen because they're sacrificing a lot of their teenage life, and that's where you'd want to, as a parent, maybe try to encourage them to disappear once in a while and have have some relaxing downtime.
1: Yeah, so talk about, you know, again, as you talked about, two sort of different reactions, um, you know, the disappearing uh, teen and the uh, parentification. Um, So how... Can parents really work around those responses so that the family, you know, still spends time together, but, you know, while also allowing for the teens to have time to themselves? I mean, what are some some of the sort of communication and, you know, scheduling and practical mechanisms that parents can employ?
2: Um, I think part of it is just like if the kids understand what you need from them, that's very helpful instead of just... This free-floating sense. Of, oh my God! I need everything from you. If you could say to you know, if you have two teenagers and you could say to one, you know, hey, can you handle the the laundry? And the other one, can you handle packing lunches? Just kind of divide chores up in a fair way, so one teen doesn't feel like they're doing all the stuff, and the other teen is sort of out, out and about and never at home. But it's tough. I mean, it's tough to change somebody's natural pattern of behavior. And, and if, if if a kid is, I, I talked to families where one kid was you know the dutiful kid at home, and the other kid wasn't at home, and it was hard It was really, really hard, and it's like as a parent, you, you can't force your kid to stay home or go out, either you have to sort of work with you know, the situation you have. but it's tough, and, and the one thing that was interesting is some of the kids who did spend more time with the parent with cancer look back and they feel really glad that they did that. They feel they had an experience with their parent that their sibling didn't have, so that's maybe something you'd get from reading the book that you know that it's not so awful to to be home sometimes, it, it, yeah, it can be really positive.
3: I just want to add yeah. to that and say that I interviewed a couple of teens as well in single parent situations that sort of stepped into that um, parentification role, as we're calling it, and... You know, there were some sort of snarky years I'm in, like, I was 40 years old, like 16 going on 40. But um, I think some of them really felt like it was a positive way to help and knew that they really, the mom or the dad um, or whoever really needed the help and that they were valued and that it taught them a lot um, in life and, you know, ended up going into professions relating to caregiving or, you know, cancer organizations Mm -hmm. and things like that. So it can be
1: a positive thing. But don't you think, um, uh, Maya, that it could also, again, if... You know, if you've got a couple different teens and one is the one who's staying home and spending the time and the other one is the one that's kind of running off, don't you think that that could also create some long-term, you know, resentment or perhaps guilt or maybe a fracture in the sibling relationship?
3: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it didn't – I can think of one example where it was an older girl and then her younger brother and then a single mother. And there was not that kind of resentment between them. I think the brother didn't really do that much, but was kind of around the house. Um, and the older daughter took care of almost everything, um, and including like driving him to school and cooking meals. And that didn't create a rift between them, but definitely I
1: think that's a possibility. That's a and, what was, and what was your relationship like Maya with your sister as you guys were going through this?
3: Question. that's something i actually have a hard time remembering i mean we were um we definitely i think became closer as a result of the like going through that experience together but um i think we kind of shared our fears with each other but you know like can you believe this is happening do you think mom's going to be okay like things like that but i don't have a really clear memory of what our relationship was like over that time like that's something my dad probably has a better idea of honestly um but that's what i remember from it
2: well, yeah, what did you, Maya, what did Maya you observe, Mark? Is, Maya said to me that she feels like this, that experience made her, a, like, a little more protective of Daniela, like, just looking out for mm-hmm. her. I don't know. Is that a, a fair statement, Maya?
3: Yeah. For, and, you know, that's kind of our relationship now, and I don't know whether that stemmed from that experience or if that was just something that sort of evolved or naturally our relationship.
1: So, but that's definitely prevalent between us. What's the, what's the age difference between the two of you? Two and a half years. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. And what you said before,
2: too, is... Kim, is totally true. Like, there can really be rifts between the siblings. You know, if some, one sibling might feel really resentful of the others, and it's, it's just tough. It's a tough situation. There's no magic cure. I mean, sometimes support groups are really helpful. There were a couple support groups we found you know, aimed at teenagers, and I think it was, like, such a relief for these kids to be able to come in and pour their feelings out with other teens who understood what they were going through. And we also visited um, these camps called Camp Kesem, which are camps for kids whose parents have cancer, and I think it was a, a great experience for like a kid who might be parentified at home to just come for a week to this camp and all you're supposed to do is have fun and it's like, it's such a relief suddenly you can just be yourself again and you know, for one week everybody who's there knows what you're going through so there, mm-hmm. there are experiences like that that can be really helpful in kind of helping teens cope
1: Well, and we certainly see plenty of you know, plenty of grown adults f- fighting about their parents' oh, yeah. healthcare it's tough.
2: It's tough. Yeah.
1: <laughs> issues today. So again, layering on some of those, uh, you know, teenage issues can make it um, particularly challenging. Mark, uh, Mark, it sounds like um, it sounds like you know, communication. Obviously, being clear and communicating and and allowing a you know kind of a venue. For that communication is is one of the keys in trying to um, you know to manage through this, and also making sure each child has a, a, an opportunity to express his or her feelings you know in their own way as it relates to their peers, as it relates um, to, you know to to school, as it relates to kind of all of those pieces. Um, do you have any tips, Mark, for how parents can better? communicate with their teens or, or you know, perhaps provide an, a venue, an opportunity for that or even, you know, even, uh, you know, I imagine some folks are going out and seeking some professional assistance, counseling and, and therapy and things like that for kids as well who may be, you know, struggling in a particular way.
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, mean, I think getting back to the first step is just really communicate and, and also understand that different kids have different styles of communication. And right. you can't make your kid talk about it if they don't want to talk about it. If they don't want to talk about it, that's okay. But you still need to tell them what's going on as a parent. That's sort of the double-edged sword. Like, you need to keep them informed, and so maybe that means – Depending on your kids' style, you might have. A, if your family has family meetings every week, keep having those family meetings. But if that's not your style as a family, maybe it's better to keep a notebook on the kitchen table, and kids can write down their questions, and you can give, you know, write down their answers. And maybe that's an easier way for some families to talk to each other and communicate. Or post-it notes on the mirror, like you know, taking mom to chemo today. I'm picking up pizza on the way home. Just sort of. Keeping them informed of what's going on, and then also when you give them information, don't just give them the information. Don't just say, "Well, here's what's going to happen," and then close it. The next day, you might say, "Gee, that stuff I told you yesterday about um, surgery was it too much information? Not enough information? Just kind of like keep you know keep taking the temperature to see you know how how the kids are reacting to what you're telling them. If they have other questions that that you might not have thought of, and and kind of keep things flowing. It's yeah. tough. It's hard. I mean, I think we, we did that to a degree, and the one thing we never really did is we didn't really ask Maya and Daniela, how are you doing? How are you feeling? And those are really important questions to ask. And like many parents, we were, we were so wrapped up with, you know, Marsha's cancer treatment at that time, and, like, the kids seemed okay, so we just never, never asked them, are you doing okay? Do you have any questions? We would just tell them, like, here's what's happening, and then go off to the round of doctor's visits and appointments.
1: Right. Right, right. Uh, Maya, we've only got a couple minutes until our next break here, but um, I certainly know the teenage years um, are often focused on, you know, kind of boundaries, on gaining independence and, you know, figuring out those pieces. Um, How did you balance this, you know, kind of this this process of seeking independence um, with these issues that were suddenly brought on by your, you know, mother's cancer? You know, how did that impact you? How did you find balance and still be able to explore those boundaries as a teen?
3: You know, I, I didn't do a very good job of it. I think I tried <laughs> by, um, because, I, you know, I, I really wanted to keep living normal life. And so I would have sleepovers with friends and go out and keep doing all of my activities and sports and schoolwork and everything. And then I'd feel bad. And so I'd come home and sort of ask my mom how she was doing. And um, I remember going to chemo a couple of times and, um, like, little things like that. But it was sort of, like you know, a drop in the bucket for what I should have done. And I think having some guidance, like if I had sat down with my dad or with, a support group or with someone, you know, trusted that just said, like, here's how you can help, Um, here's what would make mom feel better. Like, we're setting aside a schedule sort of once a week. This is your day you're going to spend with mom. And so it's structured. It doesn't feel like it's, like, imposing on your whole life, but you have your set-aside time to go and spend with the parent with cancer. And maybe it's a fun activity or maybe it's doing chores around the house for them or um, having, you know, meals with them during the day. Just something structured, I think, would have been really helpful and some guidance. Um, Because it's hard, and, you know, like my dad was saying before, you're constantly trying to move forward with your life and being ganked back, and you really don't want to be, and so there's a lot of guilt there, and I definitely experienced a lot of guilt the whole time, But. Um, I think support groups can be a tremendous resource. I've been thinking about that a lot lately, and it's something I really wish that I would have been a part of yeah. um, at the time. Yeah. Um, just being able to talk about these issues with other kids. And, you right. know, it's hard with your sibling because you don't always have the best relationship. you different age groups. And sure. so I think having um, a group of people that are going through something similar and could share. Yeah. You know best practices is a overly really formal term <laughs> yeah. For sure, sure. but just yeah
1: there's nothing like connecting with uh, you know with folks who are having that uh, that that similar experience that's uh, mm-hmm. you know that's for sure um, we're gonna take a quick break here this is frankly speaking about cancer we're talking with Mark and Maya silver father and daughter co-authors of my parent has cancer and it really sucks and and, and you know really diving into a conversation about how teens uh, you know who have a parent, diagnosed with cancer really cope and and, uh, what some of the challenges are and some great tips from Mark and Maya about navigating that. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back.
4: Cancer, it's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help.
5: Support from cancer survivors. Links to research
4: and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer, created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. or call 617-733-5848.
5: Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Communities' Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azai, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the healthcare care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day.
4: Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
0: You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community.
1: This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer, sponsored in part today by McKesson's Giving Comfort program, Bristol-Myers Squibb and Morphotech. We've had a great discussion so far on uh, cancer and, and parenting teenagers. I want to keep going in the uh, this sort of final segment of the show today. Um, Mark, we were talking a little bit in the last segment and maybe for those who are just joining us, um, those jumping back in with us, we can dive in on, um, you know, we talked about another way that that uh, some teenagers typically react Um to their parents' cancer is to take on the role of, of parent themselves, which we refer to as you know them becoming parentified or parentification. Um, can you just expand, Mark, a little bit more on on that uh, reaction and and why some teens may take on that role?
2: I mean, I think they do it because they just generally want to be helpful, and 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 there they are. But I, I mean, I think what's sort of more interesting too, and what's interesting too in a way is the way some kids don't. Like Maya was saying, she wishes she had done more, and I think that. A lot of times people in a family assume everybody can read each other's mind. And I remember one one Saturday, Marsha had had chemo the day before. And it was a rainy, cold Saturday in November, and I had been running errands all day, and I was dragging in heavy bags of groceries into the house in this rainy, cold day, and the kids are sitting and watching TV and I just assumed they would jump up and help me, and they didn't, and um, so I think I exploded, because, you know, nerves get really frayed when you're going through a cancer experience, and I was like, why can't you guys, can't you guys even help me, and Maya just turned to me, and in the most level-headed way, said, well, Dad, we'd be happy to if you'd ask, and it's like, oh, doe, I felt like Homer Simpson, but it's like, yeah, I mean, you you just need to sort of be open and honest with each other about what's going on, and, and you know, you don't want a kid to be so, you know, parentified that they're an indentured servant, but it's okay to ask them for help. It, it, tell them what, like my said, tell them what you need from them. Don't assume they can look at you and figure it all out because it's, um, it's tough. Everybody thinks they know what's best for everybody else, and people are sometimes afraid to just, and it happens with adults, too, when, when someone has cancer and friends will be like, oh, I really want to help. And then the person with cancer will say, oh, that would be great if you'd help. And it's like, well, what am I supposed to do? You know, <laughs> tell me something. Like, I'll you know, I'll walk your dog. I'll take you one, I'll go for a walk with you in the park. I'll bring you dinner. What what would be helpful? So it's just specifics are really, really, really good. And I think that can help with parentification to get back to the your question, too, because, like, just, you know, figure out what's a fair amount of things to ask of your kids and, and don't keep dumping things on them, don't let them keep doing more and more and more and more so they have fewer minutes for school and friends and, and things like that.
1: Yeah. Do you see, Mark, or did you have you talk to folks where, you know, the, the you know, teens who, again, as we said, are in sort of a fragile state to begin with in terms of their development, that they just really went off the rails, that they behaved badly, that they were acting out, that they really kind of did disappear completely? I mean, have you, you, know, have you seen some of those more sort of extreme reactions
2: yeah, we did talk to, I mean, that's, the question is, like, well, would it have happened anyway? But we did, we talked to about right. 100 teens, and in our sample, about 10% of them, you know, really engaged in destructive behaviors, like dabbling with drugs and drinking, um, arson, hooking up things, it's just stuff not good, punching holes in walls, sort of just really acting in ways that could, they could harm themselves physically and emotionally. And, and like I said, you don't know what it would it have happened anyway, but, again, that's where as a parent you just have to really be aware of what's happening. And as hard as it is, you can't just sort of shut the door and being a parent and saying for the next six months we're going to focus on cancer. You have to really, you know, keep an eye on, on your kids. And the kids who talk to us about engaging in these behaviors, a lot of them said, yeah, I, I drank or I did what I did because I wanted to, like, you know, get rid of the feelings and I didn't want to worry as much, and, and none of them thought that it had helped if it was really – just a really tough big downward spiral for them
1: yeah yeah no i could certainly you know see that that would uh that, that would happen and it is an interesting question would it have uh happened anyway so yeah yes, and, and it's like hard
2: you can't really study it academically because no, you know, it's, like yeah. it's, it's very tricky because they're minors and it's just hard but it, but it certainly happens it certainly happens that you know, teenagers normally, you know, regular teens engage in risky behaviors, and certainly sure. teens with have a parent with cancer, it may push them into risky behavior. And one one teenager who, boy, you name it, she did it, including getting pregnant and dropping out of school while her mother was finishing up treatment. Um, she just said all she wanted was her mother to give her like some sense of what was really going on, like you know, mm-hmm. how many months would treatment last and what would things be like after treatment and, and, and she didn't get that and it's like so simple to tell those things to your kid but in the in the crush of dealing with cancer I think some people just don't think about
1: yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Um, you
2: know And that's uh, I should say she did go on to she went back, got her high school certificate, went to uh College got a degree, and is now a college uh, cancer family counselor at Hopkins. So, <laughs> so
1: you can wow. turn it around <laughs> and
2: that's to get quite back the to mindset. You can take an experience that's really devastating and find um, a way to build a life out of it. So.
1: That's amazing. Yeah, uh, Maya, we've we've got a couple of minutes until the end of the show here. I'm sorry to say because I feel like there's so much more we could um, we could be talking about. But you know, I I um, I, I heard a radio show last year that um, talked about siblings and the sibling dynamic and mm-hmm. and uh, the the researcher on this show said that you know she thought that our si- the sibling dynamic and interaction with siblings could perhaps have a much greater impact on us as humans than our relationship with our parents which I thought was interesting I'm one mm-hmm. of five five children so I, I you know I might actually agree with uh, uh, <laughs> agree with that we all have our sort of places you know in the, in the lineup in our family but um, um, but I, I also imagine that, you know, inserting the cancer experience can really affect the sibling dynamic. I imagine it can bring siblings closer or perhaps, you know, can create, a, you know, a fracture. You know, as I'm doing more than you're doing or I know more than you know. I'm sort of on the inside or, you know, some of those kinds of dynamics. So um, advice for really keeping those channels of communication open with, with the siblings?
3: Well, I think one of the biggest things is trying to set aside petty arguments because, um as we all know, that can kind of dominate sibling relationships growing up, um, especially with two teenage girls. And so, <laughs> it's, you know, it's hard when you're in the moment, and I'm not sure... Looking back, what, you know, I could have done to be more conscious of that. I think having some guidance or having a book, like the book we have, is really helpful because it sort of gives you an outside view, like, oh, this is what I could be doing. Like, I, you know, I should be a united front with my sister. We should be working together, not against each other, be supportive for each other. But when you're in the moment, it's kind of hard to say that to, a teen who may have, you know, squabbles with their siblings. But um, I think there's an incredible resource there. And just trying to set that that aside and trying to check in with your sibling once a day, maybe when you get home from school, I think the onus is a little bit on the older sibling to try to do Mm -hmm. that. Um, But, you know, if the younger sibling is reaching out, then the older sibling should react and just checking in with each other and seeing how you can help and sort of, you know, be each other's therapist, talking about what's going on in the family because no one knows what's going on like that better than each right. other. Um, and no you're, yeah, your you're really on the
1: inside, you know, together behind right. closed doors, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, Mark and Maya, I really want to thank you so much um, for being on the show today to talk about cancer and parenting uh, teens. And I want to thank you, you know, for all the work you're doing to bring... Awareness to the challenges that uh, that children and families uh, face in this situation. I want to encourage our authors to check out Mark and Maya Silver's book, "My Parent Has Cancer," uh, and it really sucks. It's a it's a, a great read. A lot of really wonderful and uh, and rich information there in uh, uh, in what can be a very challenging. Time in 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 these folks' lives, in the family dynamic, in all that uh, that comes along with the cancer diagnosis, and just diving in on some of these issues, I think is so helpful, and such as some great tips and advice um, for our listeners today. Uh, and to our listeners, I want to thank you for joining us today, for frankly speaking about cancer. Uh, I'm Kim Tivolio, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. I want to remind you that we provide a multitude of in-person, online and over the phone support, um, if you or someone you know is faced with a cancer diagnosis, you do not have to face cancer alone, please reach out to us. Um, you can find all of our information on our website at cancersupportcommunity.org. Or you can pick up the phone and call our toll-free helpline, so grab a pen and you can write that down. It's 888-793-9355 and you can speak with a licensed counselor, again that is 888-793-9355. 9355. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Until next time, be well, do well, live well.
0: Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org.